Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osban, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Pesachim, daf Mem Aleph, 41. I'm actually going to back up and start on the previous daf uh, with the Mishnah that really is the entire discussion of this daf, which continues with a discussion of things that we're not allowed to eat on Pesach um, because they could lead to the production of chametz. And the Mishnah reads as follows. So somebody cannot add flour to charoset, which just by itself, I mean, I've never heard of preparing charoset with flour. Um, again, it's obviously because of this Mishnah, but I would never think to add flour to charoset. But I guess there was a idea that maybe you could. Or chardal, or to mustard. Um, and if you did add flour to uh, the charoset or the mustard, again, the Gemara is actually going to go through when it says bi'im natan, which uh, is it is that clause referring to charoset or to uh, mustard? Yachel um, miyad, it should be eaten right away, right? The idea being eat that right away so that it doesn't have time to actually become chametz. And again, this touches on one of the ideas we saw also that we discussed yesterday, which is you know a little bit trying to be mindful of there's a potential for somebody to become chametz, but not necessarily wanting to waste the food. So here the solution is. It doesn't become chametz right away, so eat it immediately. But Rabbi Meir Oser, and Rabbi Meir says, no, you're not allowed to. And again, the Gemara will later on explain that, um, according to Rabbi Meir's opinion, whether it's referring that clause just to the chardal or also to the charoset and the chardal, you would actually have to burn it right away. So now the Mishnah goes on to a different topic, and it starts to talk about the Korban Pesach. And it says, one cannot cook the Korban Pesach, Lobimashkin in other liquids, Vilobimeperod or in fruit juice, but you can baste you know baste it with um with liquid um or you can dip it into them. Um and again it's so interesting to see this word of matbilin because that's like a key word that we say in the Manishtana. And then the Gemara, the Mishnah, excuse me, goes back to talking about Hamid. Me um May touch me show shall nachtum right water that's used by a baker yashflu it has to be poured out mipneshu mach mitzin because that is something that can easily become chametz um, so again a little bit of a mishnah that's not totally organized the way that I would personally organize something we go we have the beginning and the end deal with the issue of things that can become chametz um, and this middle section here is very focused on how are you actually allowed to cook the Korban Pesach. Now, we know that the pasuk that gives us the commandment of eating the Korban Pesach basically says it has to be cooked over sli ash, right? It needs to be roasted. Um, and hence that many people, whatever main dish they prepare for Seder night, um, they don't actually bake it in the oven itself, right? Many people will prepare something, um, you know, on a stovetop. They do like a stovetop chicken or meat or something like that. And the Gemara gets into an interesting discussion about what exactly does it mean uh, to have to make it a sleeve, right? What does it mean for it actually to be roasted? And following that, the Gemara gets into a uh, kind of almost a funny um, tangent, but I think it actually was practical in the sense that probably there was some cooking that was done this way. Um, and I'm a Rav Chisa, so Rav Chisa wanted to teach the following. So let's say somebody wanted to cook something on in the hot springs of Tiberian Shabbat, pator, your pator, 
it's not actually considered to be cooking. And remember, we had spoken in our study of Masaka Jabbat a lot about this Hame Tavaria, right? There were these certain hot springs and there were questions, could you cook in it? Could you warm things up in it? And so Rav Chisim says, you're, you're, you are patur. Pesach should be flu Tavaria chayav. But if you try to cook the korban Pesach in the you are actually chayav, right? And the idea being is that, um, just at least on the initial read, right, that you didn't cook it the way it was supposed to be cooked. You have to roast it and cooking it in this chamei tavaria, right, these really hot, these hot springs um, is not the way to cook it. Now, the first question I had in this statement, and this is why I think it's somewhat in the theoretical, and what exactly is Gemara trying to get at is that where did the korban Pesach have to be roasted? And I'm asking you that. It's really a rhetorical oh. question. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Play along with me. Oh, where did it have to be roasted? Right. It's roasted where? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not tied to a place, but obviously it's going to be roasted in Yerushalayim, right? Because that's where... Right. Okay. I'm sorry. Like, right. And here we're talking about like May Tavaria, which is very, very far away from Yerushalayim. Oh, now I so, understand why you're asking. Right. Okay. Yes, of course. Right. So there's something obviously that is like somewhat theoretical. And I think really what it's asking about, it's not so much literally, can you cook it in May Tavaria? It's more the methodology of cooking, right? That there was some type of cooking that would be done by immersing something into hot water. And so the only thing that I could think that this was like is, you know, that type of cooking, it's like soup cooking where you put, you know, you put something in like a chicken in like a, a, a sous vide, right? Like it's, you put it in that bag and it like gets heated up in water um right, right. so i was wondering if like maybe that's exact so it's really i think the method of cooking as opposed to literally talking about made tavaria because again it doesn't make logical sense that you could cook the pesach in made tavaria so the gemara oh, you, know how you, you know how you asked the other day even like when do we have something that's an ex- uh, you know uh theoretical to push the limits to understand the halacha versus a practical question so i feel like you know, the question of how can you roast your korban? Does it have to be, I don't know what, over an open fire type of thing? Or could you use some other heating element becomes this question. I've said this totally backwards, right? Meaning, but the the question of whether you're really going to take the korban Pesach to, to Varia, okay, so that seems to be illogical and impractical. But in terms of pushing the question of how can you cook it, they become a very good example of something that is an unusual manner of cooking. Right. I, I totally hear what you're saying. And I think therefore the Gemara is just using sort of the most obvious known example, right? Or Rav Chista is of a type of unusual cooking. So the Gemara here goes on and says, So what's different about cooking with these chametz very on Shabbat um, that you wouldn't be chayav, right? The told right because for cooking the tolada remember and this goes back to our understanding of shabbat we have the av malacha and then the tolada which is sort of a derivative halacha right it has to be a derivative of fire so in order to say something was cooked to actually do the malacha of bishul of cooking it needs to involve some type of fire source and here it doesn't so therefore if you cook something in chametzveria we're not going to consider it uh, to be um, to be the malacha of Bishol. Pesach Nami, okay, but what about Pesach, right? Lav toladot eshu, right? It is also not a derivative of fire. And therefore what it's trying to ask is, is that 
when it says sli in the Torah that you have to roast, doesn't that imply that it needs to be done over fire? And therefore, shouldn't you really be patur also? I'm a rabbi, so rabbi answers, my chayav diktani. So what does the word chayav mean when Rav Chista says that? It means that what? That somebody was over on, somebody transgressed the commandment of the Torah, that the Korban Pesach can only be eaten if it was actually roasted by the fire. So in other words, on, for the Malacha of Shabbos, there's sort of this broader definition of Bishal, which includes any type of cooking, right, that's done by fire. And therefore, the one exception to that would be would be sort of this uh, example of Hamei Tveria, right? Because there's no fire that's involved. It may cook it. It may make the food edible in a cooked-like way, but you didn't actually cook it. As opposed to Pesach, the concept of Sli or that Pasuk of Sli Eish narrows it, right? There's really only one way that that Korban Pesach can be cooked. And what is it? It's actually by Sli Eish. And so the Gemara, therefore, agrees with this and says, Rav Chia Bereza Rav Natan Matnila Lehadza Rav Chisa Bahadja. So Rav Chia, the son of Rav Natan, taught Rav Chisa's statement explicitly, right? And said the following, I'm a Rav Chisa. Rav Chisa said, I'm a Bashabu Chametzveria Bashabat Patur, right? So the, right, that if you cook with Chametzveria and Shabbat, you're Patur. Uba Pesach should be Shlubu Chametzveria Chayab. Sha'avar Mishum Sli Eish. Right? So I agree with you, Anne, that I think ultimately, and that's what I was trying to set up with my question at the beginning, this actually is a real example of just pushing about, you know, of exploring a boundary within halacha. And so the idea is that with Shabbat, there's sort of this broader definition of bishol. It's any tolada of ish, right? Anything that's any type of cooking that has a fire source, that is going to be considered to be bishol. And therefore, what's the one exception that we can come up with for that? It would be chamei tveria. Whereas for Pesach, right, it really has to be sli'esh. It really has to be roasted. So any other type of cooking, whether it's by fire, whether it's by chamei tveria, is not going to fall under the category of sli'esh. So by using this one type of example of chamei tveria, Rav Chis's teaching really highlights something distinctive about hilchot bishol with Shabbat and something distinctive about how the Korban Pesach itself has to be um, has to be cooked. And so even though it almost seems like a funny example, it's actually very clever on Rav Chisa's part and really helps us understand and elucidate the halacha in a very interesting way. I think the question nowadays would be, you know, how does, let's apply this to the microwave. Let's apply this to the crock pot. Let's apply this to all, you know, even the electric oven, right? Where there's no actual tenable flame as compared to let's say you know a barbecue or a fire pit or something like that where you, or even maybe i don't know what do you do with a rotisserie the kinds of ways that we roast food nowadays i'm not thinking anybody's actually roasting in a microwave i'm just saying the different ways that we we might cook our food i feel like so many of them would not be eligible for truly preparing the carbon pesach i totally agree and i think you know it would be interesting to see an evaluation i'm sure somebody has done it the sort of these newer types of cooking and evaluating it in light of this principle of Rav Chista and how it relates to fire. Right. Okay. So I'm now going to take this, you know, what happens when actually, when one actually does this and the bottom line is, and you know, you've just read this section, you get punished, right? You get punished if you try to use Chamei Tavaria to cook your carbon Pesach. Uh, so 
And also, I think part of the implication is that you're never really going to have a fully roasted carbon Pesach if you're not using an actual fire. So Rava, I'm a Rava, Rava, someone says, I'm sorry, let me take a step back. Rava is going to discuss exactly this case. I'm a Rava, Achluna, Lokeshtaim, somebody who eats a carbon Pesach that is not fully roasted receives two sets of lashes, Lokeshtaim. Now, this is, I would say, the less sweetness and light aspect of halacha, right? There's a certain amount of punishment, provisional punishment that happens or that is discussed. And, and on this page, we see a lot of different cases of, of getting whipped, lashes. The basic plan of lashes is that it's 39 uh, with the caveat that 40 would just be too much for a person to withstand. And the idea that a person's going to get two sets of lashes is pretty extreme because, you know, one... One kind of seems enough, especially if we say that 40 is going to, you know, is going to be too much for you to withstand. And now we've got two sets of lashes here and then a discussion of three sets of lashes and so on. Um, I'm not going to suggest that they were actually done all at the same time. I'm pretty sure that they space, space them out in the event that it would ever happen. I would also note that some of these corporal punishments that are on the books um, were not necessarily carried out or not all that frequently. Because to get lashes, you still would need witnesses and warning. And there's a whole set of, you know, criminal law and criminal punishment that has to be put in place for these punishments to be to be carried out. Maybe criminal law is not the right word there. But um, the kind of violation, it, it, it still requires a whole legal, uh, you know, system of, of assessment and judgment and so on. Okay, so let's, recognizing that there is something, I think, for modern contemporary ears, uh, quite difficult in the violence of this. Let's nonetheless, you know, understand what the Gemara has to say. So, so that person would get two two sets of lashes because the whole uh, the implications, of course, that you're not supposed to eat the korban only partially roasted because, <clears throat> excuse me, that's an explicit verse from the Book of Exodus chapter uh, Sefer Shemot chapter twelve. It says, and again, the same verse, Yerdana, that you were alluding to, you shall only eat it, eat it, ah, ah, I'm really stumbling over my words today, I apologize for that. You shall only eat it when it's roasted with fire. Now, what happens if you end up with somebody who ate a korban Pesach? Mevushal, mevushal means that it's cooked with water, that it's boiled with water, and that's the nature of cooking. I think technically this is the term of cooking, as opposed to something that is roasted or... I don't know what else, how, how else we might cook our meat, but the, there's, right, roasting is applying heat. There's a heat source and it, and it cooks the meat. Baking, right, you think about baking in an oven, you have a heat source that's kind of all around the food, but from a distance. Mavushal, specifically cooking, requires water. Lokesh daim, also, again, this person would be, get two sets of lashes. Now mavushal, lokesh shalosh. Somebody who has their carbon Pesach, which is partially roasted, and then goes and puts it in water to cook it more, is going to get three sets of lashes. What are they for? Eating the, the carbon Pesach partially roasted, and for eating it also boiled, meaning mavushal, and again, for failing to eat it roasted. So that's the second case, which in each of these things where it says two cases, two sets of lashes, you end up with one for the way you've done the cooking, and the other is for not eating it. It's a, It's a... You have a negative, there's a violation of the negative, right? To make sure that you do go, or I'm sorry, a violation of the positive, to make sure that you go eat a roasted carbon Pesach is its own mitzvah. So if you don't do that, 
even if you didn't do that because you stayed home and, and looked at the walls, right? As opposed to violating something else and eating a carbon in a different way, you still you fail to fulfill your obligation of eating the carbon Pesach and roast it. Now, Abaye comes along, and Abaye will make reference to something we've been talking about for a while now in terms of how corporal punishment can be affected, and there are certain uh, real rules that are called into play. Abaye Amar Ein Lokin Alav Shebichlalot. You do not get lashes, you do not get whipped for a prohibition, a negative commandment that is stated only in general terms. Meaning, when you say you should not, you should only eat it roasted in fire, the implication is that you have a whole bunch of different kinds of cooking that goes in there. And the moment you've got something that's a more general statement, you know, cooking, cooking is quite a general statement in terms of the actual precision of what's happening then it's too general to say that you're going to get a malkot, that you're going to get lashes for it at all, you know, because it comes to include the several different ways of cooking it. It gets the Amri, there are those who say, and again, this is a different version of the same text, So some say that what Abai had said was not this point about not getting lashes at all because it's a love shebechlalot, because it's too general of a state of a prohibition, but rather that he said it is two sets of lashes that you don't receive, meaning he's not going to get two for doing this, um, meaning you're not going to get a second set of lashes for um, the mitzvah itself that would be roasted in the fire, right? Rather, uh, he should only get one set of lashes, and that's the one that he does receive, meaning for doing whatever violation you did and eating it the wrong way. If you've prepared it, you know, improperly cooking it, you don't roast it, whatever it's going to be, you, you, what was the other option? Um, you don't you don't eat it roasted fully, uh, or you eat it mavushal, right? These are not this becomes not the proper way to cook it, and so then the real concern the real concern means that you didn't eat it properly. Okay, the bottom line here is that one way or another, this guy or person or woman who has not eaten the carbon pesach in the way that is prescribed has done so with the violation and a violation that incurs lashes. We have another Ikeda Amri, and this I think is already unusual. Your Danny will correct me if you've seen this more often than I have. Ikeda Amri, a, se- a, a second version of the previous text. So this next version, there are those who say that the, ver- that the text said that one does not even get one set of lashes. Right, that he shouldn't get lashes at all because what the violation here is, is, to, is again, it's more general than that. Like, it's not specific just to one kind of thing. You have several different kinds of cooking here. So the moment you that it can be applied, meaning make sure that you eat the carbon Pesach roasted and then by virtue of not having eaten it roasted, you've done something else to it and that something else could appear in several different kinds of cooking, none of which are the right kind, uh, you end up with too general of a statement. Um, and so it's a similar problem, I would say, but the end conclusion is that, that our, our transgressor gets no lashes whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I think it's interesting. It's clear that there's a difference, but the difference of there being, do you get one set of lashes versus no lashes is really significant. Right. It's a much bigger deal, you know, how you go home. Right. So that's why I think um, it's, a, it's an interesting Eka Amri, right? It's not like a slight variation. 
it has a real practical difference. Like, were you hired for something at all that was deserving? Like saying, you know, a difference, like, were you deserving of one or two? That's sort of like a technical, but saying, were you deserving of any or none feels to me like a much bigger difference that doesn't seem necessarily should start with an Eka de Amri. So I, I see why you were struck by that. Well, I'll tell you what's even more striking is that after the next section, the next line of the Gemara really just draws a comparison between our carbon Pesach and the Nazir. And the Nazir, what if the Nazir eats the skin of a grape and then he gets two sets of lashes? Also, this question of, you know, a violation of the one act and a violation of not doing the other act. For the Nazir, it's a matter of, you know, staying away from all grape uh, products, right? Um, and so on the one hand, there's a requirement to stay away from all grape products, that you can't eat anything from grapes. Um, and so then one is, his violation is he's eaten something that is from the grape, and the other is that he's eaten a grape. Basically, I, I, I know that sounds crazy. Um, I will try to say it a little bit more clearly. The concern of eating from that which grew on the grape vine is its own violation. And then the actual eating of the specific grape could also be another violation. So that's the discussion of two. But what I was going to say is that, you know, in terms of the Ikeda Amre, the next line after this comparison to the Nazir is literally, and I keep checking and checking to try to see if there's any change. I think there isn't. Literally a repeat of the text from Abai Amar Enokin Alav Shebechalot and then the two Ikeda Amres, and they appear literally again which I find to be a really unusual Gemara phenomenon. Um, and I think that it really just boils down to the fact that um, I think that Abai's point at the end of the day wins, right, in terms of to what extent do we actually apply apply these lashes. Yeah, I, the whole discussion here of the lashes is very interesting. And this ultimate um, conclusion that the Gemara comes to about you know, needing to be a specific lav, I didn't quite understand it because I was like, I don't know, this seems pretty specific, right? Only eat roasted meat. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure I totally understood the concept here of like what needs to be very specific to say that it's actually a lav that you can get malkut for. Is it that there's a specific um, warning? Like, I, I just, I don't know. It, it might be that I'm losing something in... in translation or like there might be a nuance here to the language that I'm somehow missing. So my understanding of the general is that when you have several different options that are not, we've got a prohibition against doing something. Let me say this carefully. We have a prohibition against not roasting your carbon Pesach, right? That eating a carbon Pesach that was not roasted. So then the implication is, well, it was, what was done to it and it could what was done could to it could be several different kinds of things and now it's too general because the way it was not roasted there's too many opportunities there's too many options for what it could have been i i think that that was yeah totally does and i just wanted to like highlight that point a little bit um before we wrapped it up right because i think right i think the idea is is that if there's one lab in the Torah referring to one specific thing like one lotase it's sort of in a way very obvious, but if there's multiple ones, it may not be as clear what the specific low tasse is. Uh, right, right. Well, again, the, the low tasse, what you're not allowed to do is pretty clear. The question is, how many different ways can you violate it? So each one is going to give us something different 
uh, to think about when we have, for example, like we do here with Sliage, multiple lotases too, right? Each pasuk is going to give us different insight into what exactly is that Isur. Whereas if we have one that's only one pasuk, it's just very, it's a little bit more clearer um, what it is. But I'm sure this is a topic that we might, you know, revisit again on one of the pages of the DAF. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and if you've ever been to May Tavaria or how you like uh, to roast your <laughs> Korban Pesach on the Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.